Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And this is a passage in the scriptures where the chapter and verse break doesn't make sense to me. Chapter 4, verse 1 belongs at the end of chapter 3, where all those relationships are discussed, and why the person who introduced the chapters and verses several centuries after the scriptures were written put verse 1 here. I don't know. So it should be at the end of chapter 3. So this is the final chapter in Paul's letter to the church of Colossae. And again, we start off with verse 1. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And this would apply to bosses, business owners, and other people who are in authority. And for believers in these positions, we need to understand we are still required to behave in a manner that glorifies God. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It's a good memorization verse. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness or mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That includes those in authority. Verse 2, and this is where chapter 4, in my opinion, should start. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So prayer is huge, and in Paul's letters, he emphasizes staying in prayer, meaning that we are constantly seeking to align our will with God's will. And prayer is also a place where intercession occurs, where we pray for other people. And if we ask anything according to God's will, he hears us. We know that from 1 John chapter 5. And so we ask things according to God's will, knowing that he hears us and praying for others and praying for our will to be aligned with God's will is very important. That's how we stay on track. And notice Paul throws in the word thanksgiving again. Being thankful is reiterated many times in the scriptures and in this letter, as is the command to love others. But realistically, where do these two things land on our priority list? You ask yourself that. Am I a thankful person? And am I loving others? Verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Verse 4. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So here's a verse where Paul is asking for prayer. But notice, he's in prison. And he's not asking, hey, pray for me that I would be released and that my life would be better. What he asked for is an opportunity for a door to be open to declare Jesus. That's what Paul was called to do, and that's what he was faithful to do. There's no doubt that Paul ministered to as many people in prison that would listen. But like a true servant of God, he wants to keep pushing ahead in his master's will, and that is to share the gospel with everybody possible. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. How do we behave around outsiders or people outside of our circle of friends, family, the church? Well, we should be doing it the same way we behave around our brothers and sisters. We love them. And I watch for this in believers. How we treat people we don't know is a good indicator of where we are with Jesus. You never know what God is doing in the midst of an encounter with a stranger or someone we know isn't a believer. But we are to be consistent in how we treat people and not phony, because you don't want to have a reputation as being a hypocrite. And there's enough of those already. You don't want to be one. Verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, this can be difficult for me. I am naturally sarcastic and on occasion funny. And that being said, balancing sarcasm and humor with grace can be a challenge. And that's why we need to be prayed up continually so we are being filled with the Holy Spirit 
and exercising self-control. Now, when he speaks about being seasoned with salt, salt brings about a good flavor. It's also a preservative. They used it in these days and still in modern days to preserve meat, so it slows down the rotting process. So our speech should be positive. Salt also makes a person thirsty. Saying the right things in the right way has a very good effect on people. And flip that, saying the wrong things the wrong way, you're going to make people mad. And we just had this discussion this morning at Bible study about different approaches to witnessing to people. And there are some that are really in your face and obnoxious. And even though they may be speaking the truth, and even though God may be using that, what are other people witnessing that thinking about Jesus? This is a follower of Jesus. And how is he or she behaving? Verse 7, Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Tychicus is another brother whose name made it into the scriptures as a faithful servant. And he was apparently going to brief the church at Colossae on what was happening with Paul. And from this point on to the end of the book, we're going to see Paul mentioning certain people and saying certain things about them. Tychicus, he said, is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant. Those are three good things to say about a person, especially if your name is immortalized in the Holy Scriptures. Verse 8, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Verse 9, And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So they were worried about Paul. And the purpose of Tychicus and Onesimus going back to Colossae was to brief the church on Paul's status, what's going on with him, because they were no doubt praying for him. They were worried about him, and it seemed right for Paul to send them back to explain to them what's going on. And here again, you see Onesimus, and you can read the book of Philemon, where he is the runaway slave that Paul encountered and who came to Jesus under Paul's teaching. And Paul also knew Onesimus's master, Philemon, who owned Onesimus as a slave and was in a bind because the runaway slave was now a follower of Jesus. So was Philemon. And Philemon was in debt to Paul for Paul sharing the gospel with him. And so there's this weird little thing happening here, and Paul sends Philemon a letter saying, hey, Onesimus is a faithful brother, receive him back and all that. So this is Onesimus, and he is coming back to Colossae. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Apparently, Paul was imprisoned with this brother named Aristarchus. He's mentioned also in Acts chapter 19, 20, and 27, as well as the book of Philemon. So he was a fellow prisoner, another great thing to say about somebody in Scripture. He's serving the Lord, he's suffering for the Lord, he's doing the Lord's work despite hardship. That's cool. Now, Mark, who was the cousin of Barnabas, he abandoned Paul and Barnabas in Perga on Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey. And he also goes by the name John Mark. Like a few others in Scripture, he has two names, like Peter. Sometimes goes by Simon Peter. And so Mark has a surname as well. But Mark left Paul and Barnabas and headed home. And that did not make Paul happy whatsoever. And when everything was over, everyone was back home, and they were prepping to do another journey, Barnabas says, hey, I want to take Mark. And Paul flipped out so bad that Paul and Barnabas, who had been through so much together, they parted ways. And Paul took Silas with him, and Barnabas took Mark. Sad deal. But you can get the sense that there was a time when Paul was really angry at Mark and looked down on him as a brother. He was a quitter. He abandoned them. He betrayed them. And so now, apparently, there were instructions 
that they had received about him. And then Paul says, yeah, if he comes, welcome him. Because what had happened is God had reconciled Paul and Mark. And Paul wanted everybody to know, hey, listen, water under the bridge, man. Everybody be nice to him and don't call him a quitter, okay? So in 2 Timothy, which was Paul's final letter before he was executed in Rome, he mentions Mark and he confirms they had been reconciled in 2 Timothy 4.11. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. So in the church, there's a lot of division. There's people that break off like this all the time. We have to remember that God is a God of reconciliation, and sometimes that means we got to put up with these people and we have to forgive them, especially if they're asking for it. And apparently that's what happened. Verse 11. And Jesus, who is called Justice, not the Lord Jesus, but another Jesus. Jesus was a very common name in this time. So here is another Jesus who is referred to as Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So it's interesting that Paul ministered in so many synagogues where some believed. And at this point, there's only three Jews with him. It's no wonder he refers to them as a comfort to him. How many of Paul's people had rejected him because Paul was being faithful to the Lord in spreading the gospel? Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, in other words, he's from Colossae. Remember, he's the one that brought the gospel to Colossae. A servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So we see here again Epaphras going to battle for his people in Colossae, and that term, always struggling, it can be translated competing for a prize. Think about a competitive person you know, how hard they train and how hard they work to win the prize. That's the picture of how this man prayed for these people. That's pretty cool. So Epaphras gets kudos for being a a person always in prayer and struggling in that effort to really intercede for these people. And God listens to those who are like this. He loves to see us praying. He loves to see us crying out to him for others. It's a good thing. Verse 13, For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. And if you look at a map of this region in the ancient times, you'll see that Colossae, Laodicea, and Heropolis were three cities that were very close to one another. So there was a lot of interaction, apparently, between these churches and Epaphras. So undoubtedly, he's also ministering on their behalf as well. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. So here you see Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, Paul's traveling companion. He is with Paul at this point, and another person named Demas. Verse 15, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. We often forget that during the time of Paul, many churches were actually in houses. And using our homes as a gathering place for believers is something that I think is really cool. And we do a weekly study at our house. And during the summer, we got a big backyard, so we'll have the whole church over. We'll just pack it out. But it's a place where we can let down our guard, be who we are, and really just love one another and hang out. And that homey type of feel in a congregation is like gold, because a lot of congregations don't have that. And it's cool when you have a good congregation who knows and serves one another continually and has that family environment. Verse 16. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So Paul wrote a lot of letters, and the ones that were inspired by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of becoming Scripture, we have those contained in the Bible. But that's not all the letters that Paul wrote. And here we have an example of a letter that he apparently wrote to the church at Laodicea. And it appears there was another letter to the church at Corinth as well. And we don't have those. 
not because someone lost them, rather the Holy Spirit inspired the letters that we have. And he's like, that's good. You don't need all these other ones. Paul wrote a lot. So we see here he wrote to the church of the Laodiceans as well. Verse 17, say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. So Archippus is also mentioned in Philemon. Apparently, Paul wants them to light a fire under him because he's not doing what God has told him to do. So it says, and say to Archippus, this is the letter to the church. Hey, church, everyone who reads this, tell Archippus, hey, fulfill the ministry that you've received from the Lord. So that's how Archippus' name has been immortalized in the Holy Scriptures. He was a slacker. And it's amazing to me how many people in the church today do not pursue their calling from God. God calls every believer to him, and then he paves a road for them to travel down spiritually where his will for their life will become evident. And as they become mature believers, they'll see this. They'll grow. They'll mature. But ask a congregation, hey, what has God called you into? And then observe all of the blank stares. People either don't understand that there is something beyond a Sunday church service experience, or they don't want to do anything that makes them uncomfortable, or they simply refuse to obey that which they know they're supposed to do. Either way, it leaves so many believers stagnant and ultimately unprofitable for the kingdom. And while that may not be a big deal to them now, it will when they're facing the Lord in eternity. Had all this stuff for you, man. I called to you continually and you did not do anything. That's a dangerous place to be where you're not listening to God, because God will call you out of your comfort zone to make you uncomfortable, because in your uncomfortableness, that's where God's comfort is made evident. And when you figure out that I can be comfortable in Christ, despite being uncomfortable in life, that's a win. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the comforter, but that's something you have to receive, and you got to do it. you got to step out, especially when God is saying, I want you to do this, instead of sticking your fingers in your ear and going, I'm not listening, I'm not listening. Pull those things out and say, Lord, give me the strength, give me the direction, and then do it. Obey. And in this case, Paul's using this letter as an opportunity to get Archippus' attention. And I wonder what his expression was like when they read this letter in his presence especially after hearing all the accolades Paul pours out to these people in this last chapter, and then he gets the Putz Award. Imagine Archibald said, what? Let me read that. And he grabbed the letter from whoever was reading it. He read it himself, and he walked out of the room feeling like an idiot. I don't want to be like that. I want to do what God has called me to do. I don't want God to have to light any more fires under me because he has had to do that. So if God has given you some type of direction and you've resisted it, then don't expect him to do all these cool things in your life. And I know this by experience. Going through a spiritual dry spell, wondering why God was not really evident in my life. And then he rebuked me for being stubborn and lazy. And I realized I refused to do what he had commanded me to do, resulting in the Lord becoming quiet and I became disillusioned. Then after I came to my senses and did what I was called to do, things got good again between the Lord and I. So don't neglect your calling. And it may be something minor, maybe some little thing, or it may be something major. Whatever it is, you've already lost time and opportunities because you haven't jumped on it. So get on it so you can rack up all those eternal rewards, glorify God, and grow in the grace and mercy of Jesus. How many more opportunities do you want to lose? Verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So Paul signs off this letter with a plea to remember his chains, and I don't think he was bucking for sympathy. I think he was calling attention to the fact that faithfully following Jesus sometimes means hardships await us. We keep that in mind, and when and if that time comes, we will be ready for it. Because our relationship with God has become solid. We trust Him, we obey Him, He reveals Himself more and more. 
we get over that hump of, are you really there, God? Yes, he's really there. Question is, are we engaged or are we totally checked out? Engage and go for it and you'll be blessed. Thank you.